Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. I feel God wants to speak this morning. So you're ready? Okay. Uh, I'm going to deliver the words, and he's then going to do the speaking. That's the deal. I'm the junior partner. He's the senior partner. But just be ready in your heart to hear from God this morning. Okay? Good. Okay, well, look, the title of uh, my talk this morning is this. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. And uh, just in case you're a visitor here this morning, uh, we've been going through the, the letter, really, of 1 Corinthians, uh, one of the, uh, the books in the New Testament. And we've been working our way, haven't we, church? Yeah. Gradually through it. And I trust, this is where you say yes, this, and I trust it's been helpful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, it's been helpful. And um, uh, today, we're going to come to a passage which is right at the end of 1 Corinthians 10. And it's the first 16 verses then also of chapter 11. And so I'd like to read that to you, and hopefully the title will become clear as we go through the the morning. Okay? So why don't we read this together? It'll be up on the screen, he says. There we are. Okay, so verse 31 of chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Now I commend you, because you delivered me in everything, and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is is God. For every man who prays or prophesies with his head uncovered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if, if, as if her head were shaven. For a, if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head. Since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Wow. Here we go. Okay, a little plastic screen is now required. Well, look, I have to say, this passage of Scripture um, has caused lots of confusion over the years. And uh, I guess, particularly if you're new to this, you could read that and just say, your, your conclusion could be, uh? What? What is he talking about? 
What is all this stuff about head coverings and shaving your hair? And what is all this stuff going on? And, and then he seems to contradict himself in, in verse 15. He seems to say, no, no, women must have a hair covering. And then he says, oh, well, perhaps she doesn't. And you think, what is this talking about? So I'll finish there. No, um, so... <laughs> so um, and I have to say, having studied this, I've, I've, I've looked at a number of the commentators on it, and uh, it seems individual words in this passage have been fought and wrestled over, uh, verses have been contested, and then certainly the interpretation of this. I mean, it's just, if you want an interpretation, it's out there, basically. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the guys that uh, you know, I respect. Tom Wright, okay, one of the leading Anglican theologians, he says he's not quite sure he understands this passage. I thought, well, that's encouraging. Thanks, Tom. Um, and then I turned to Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge is one of the most famous 19th century commentators. And he, he refers to at least one verse in here, uh, the bit where it, the reference to angels, because of the angels. That, he said, that's very taxing and obscure. <laughs> oh, well, you're... You've got friends who've helped you then, haven't you? And then Andrew Wilson, another big-brained theologian guy, said there are few verses that have caused more controversy in ancient times and modern than verse 3, while verse 10 is probably the second most controversial (laughs) verse in the New Testament. As you said, Paul was really on fire when he wrote this. (laughs) Wow, thanks, Paul. And uh, it seems that there have been sort of a variety of interpretations and and approaches to this passage. So there is the kind of, we take everything literally brigade. And and they would say, well, this this proves that if you are a man, you absolutely must not wear a hat in church. If any man has got a baseball cap on, you should take that off straight away. That's what they would argue. And then clearly if you're a woman, so that argument, we should have had a big box of hats and we should have been handing them out. Everybody has a covering. All the women have coverings. That's really, and that's, you know, some churches still do have that approach, amazingly. And uh, uh, I have to say, I remember uh, years ago as a Cub Scout so, I don't know, seven, eight, something like that. Um, I, I grew up in a, a family that didn't really go to church very much. They, they weren't Christians. And uh, so occasionally, uh, with the Cubs, we would go off to traditional church. And uh, we were all piling in this, uh, in this church. And then it, we did whatever we did. I can't remember exactly. And then we were queuing to get out. And I can remember there was another kid who was with me. And he got his cap out. And he flapped it out like this. And he was just about to put it on his head when the leader of the Cub Scouts came over and she, she just flicked it off his head just before he put it on. He said, you, you don't put your hat on in church. And he went, oh, that was close. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, it was. I hadn't got a clue what all that meant. Um, no, so, so it's sort of over the years, what this passage really has meant, and I think it's more to do with men, actually, than women. Men, you must, you must take your hat off as a sign of respect when you go into a church building. That's sort of what it's ended up meaning, isn't it, really? And you think, well, how did, how did we get to that? So you've got the kind of take it all literally group, and then you've got the other group very much would say, well, this is all just silly, really. It's all culturally irrelevant, and, and uh, it's got absolutely nothing to teach us now at all, so we just ignore it. And then you've got other critics who just say, this proves that St. Paul was sexist. That's, that's what they would say. So I'm really tempted to skip over this passage if I'm absolutely... I was, came to it and I just thought, wow, you know, I, just, I could just... 
I could just move on to chapter 12. That would be good. Um, but actually, we love this book, don't we? We love the Word of God. The Bible says about itself that it is God-breathed. The Bible, the Word of God is God-breathed. And it's useful for training, instruction, and correction. And I trust we love this Word, or at least we're learning to. We're learning to love and to honor and respect this Word. So I wanted to give you something today. I thought, well, I've got to try and put the effort in to, to work my way through this passage. I've got to come down on it in some way. And uh, so I trust that today will partly be just about trying to understand what is a confusing or can be a very confusing passage of Scripture. Okay, so you see where I'm coming from. Okay, so be kind to me. Right. Um, so where on earth do we start? Well, <clears throat> I think, and I'm delighted to say Phil, Phil Moore agrees with me, <laughs> thoughts just throw that in um <clears throat> it's not about hats the word hat actually is not mentioned even in this passage it's not about hair coverings it's not about hairstyles it's actually about headship that's the thrust of this passage it's about headship and i think there are four things that we need to understand and that's what I'm going to endeavor to explain. If we understand these four things, I trust by the end of this morning, you could go away, read this passage, and think, oh, that makes a bit more sense now. Now, there are some things I'm not going to look at. This business of because of the angels, I'm just going to skip over that. I am, because there's just, it, there's just so many different views on it. Uh, but the, so what I'm trying to do is, what is the kind of core feeling, flavor of this scripture that, so that we can honor it? That's what I'm going to try and get to. Okay, so there are four things we need to do. We've got to look at the first seven verses of that passage. Because the first seven verses are like an introduction. It's like a framework. It's explaining the whole thing. After verse four, we get into the detail of hats and, you know, who should wear what and all that kind of stuff. But the first, um, sorry, it's the first six verses really explain things. They are the kind of hanger on which we can hang our understanding. So we've really got to understand what Paul is doing in those uh, first six verses. Second thing we need to understand. Here we go. Second thing we need to understand is what is the first century cultural significance of head coverings? It's difficult for us this because... We're not used to bits of clothing having huge symbolic significance. I guess a wedding ring, we could understand, yeah, when we wear a wedding ring, it says, I am married. But actually, what we wear, we wear because we, we like it. It's a fashion thing. Actually, in the first century, sometimes what you wore spoke. And it indicated an attitude that you had. So we just got to get our head around a different culture because they operated slightly differently to us. Okay, so we need to look at that. Third thing here is we, because uh, Paul, when he's writing this, has a very clear understanding of what a husband and a wife, what a successful marriage partnership looks like. And that understanding runs all the way through this passage. So in order to understand this passage, we have to go back to the book of Genesis we have to look at Adam and Eve. We have to look at the model that Paul has in mind. 
so that once we've understood that, we can then pick that up and then apply that understanding into this, into this passage. Okay? And then lastly, the thing we need to understand is uh, we need to know what the Corinthian attitude was to authority and what uh, uh, men's attitude was to women and women's attitude was to men, particularly when it came to marriage. And I know you know, because we've seen they're in a mess generally, it's not going to be pretty, is it? It's not going to be good. And you're right, it isn't terribly good. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do those four things. So let's start then with the, the intro. Let's have a look at these first six verses. And we just need to ask ourselves, uh, what is Paul doing here? Okay, so what do we see in 31? Uh, now, I guess I, just to be fair, I need to say, these verses are Paul transitioning. He's transitioned from chapter 10, when he's been talking about uh, matters of conscience and uh, 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 meat sacrifice to idols. He's now transitioning from that discussion, and he's now transitioning into the passage that we've just read. And this is that kind of transition period, but it's also what he's building up to. He's building up to verse 3, really. So where does Paul start in 31? Well, basically what he's saying is, now look, Corinthians, I, I want you to have a different attitude. You need to have a different attitude. You, you, you need to start thinking about your focus on God, your life. Live it for him and for his glory. Stop being so selfish. Stop being so self-focused. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, he, he explains, look, look, guys, this is the way I'm living. That's how I live my life. I live my life for his glory, to see people saved. He's called me to see people saved. So I'm living under his headship. I don't do stuff that just I want to do. I want a bigger house, so I would go and buy a bigger house. No, he said, I don't operate like that. I say, Lord, what's your purpose for my life? How do I fit with you? So do you see what he's doing? He's immediately beginning to model a way of living. A way of, actually, I am submitted to his headship. He's already beginning to build up to this subject. Uh, And then in verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, look, now because I live like this, guys, I want you to imitate that. I want you to live like this too. I live like this. I want you to live like this. And then in verse 2, he begins to heat the argument up a little bit more, and he compliments them. And he says, look, guys, well done that you have accepted my teaching and you remember me and you honor me. In other words, you are beginning to adopt me as a head, as one of your leaders, as somebody you take an example from. So in other words, he's saying, see, you can do it. You can do it because you're doing it to me. Well done. It's really good. And so he's building the argument up and then he gets to to verse 3. And he says, in verse 3, he says, but I want you to understand. Now, in other words, I really want you to grip something. You haven't gripped this yet, but I really want you to get hold of something and understanding because it's important and it will help you. So that's kind of where we go with verse 3. And then he lays out these three things. He says, the head... Of every man is Christ. 
The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The most likely uh, translation of the word head, again, that's highly debated, but the most likely one is the word authority. So what is he introducing to them? He's trying to introduce to a very messy group of people whose lives are all over the place. He's trying to introduce a concept of healthy headship. What is this thing called headship? Now, I don't know what your reaction is when I use that word, but I suspect there could be quite a variety of reactions and some pretty strong reactions too, I imagine. Actually, I think those sorts of reactions would have existed in the Corinthian church when Paul wrote this. This, They wouldn't have said, oh, that's nice. They would have, what? Reaction probably would have come. And what he's trying to say here is, look, I just need to tell you something. That headship is good. It's a healthy thing. It's a positive thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a right thing. And actually, without it, you won't thrive as well. You will be left exposed. You will be vulnerable. Uh, I'm a big watcher of... I love military documentaries. It's a real weakness of mine, I guess. And there's a series which is just fantastic. It's kind of like a film almost called Band of Brothers. Has anyone seen Band of Brothers? Yeah, with Tom Hanks in it, yeah. And uh, there's an episode in this. It's about, it's about an American company called uh, Easy Company. And it's really from D-Day until the end of the war. And they're a really good. They're part of the 101st American Airborne <coughs> uh, uh, thing. And uh, there's one episode where their leader gets injured. And another leader comes in. His name is Norman Dyke. And they're used to having pretty decent leaders. But this guy is not a good leader. He's not a good head for them. And the atmosphere in Easy Company completely changes. They don't know what's going on. They're suddenly they're lost. They're a bit exposed. They don't know what patrols to put out. And they're constantly saying, well, where is he? And they're having to muddle together last-minute decisions. Without a good head, you suffer. It's like a child who grows up without a good mum and dad. They didn't have a good spiritual head. Therefore... They suffer, don't they? Now, some of us are going to recoil in horror at the idea that the husband is the head of the family. Aren't we? If that's the honest truth. We will. We'll react to that. Uh, Some men would react badly to that as well as women. And actually, some men would recoil at the idea that they are not the head of their own lives. I am the captain of my soul. If you're a Christian, no, you're not. No, you're not. And uh, so this is, you know, they're all going to react poorly to this. You see, the people in Corinth, remember, they're freed men. So in other words, they've been slaves for a number, probably between 10 and 15 years. And they've had to work really hard in order to get their freedom. And here is Paul who comes along and says, I want you to submit to Christ's authority. Well, that's not going to go down well. I fought hard for my freedom to not be under someone. Are you telling me I've got to be under Christ? What? 
I, re- I would suggest no. Like today, don't like authority. Um, so, both the men and the women are, are not going to react well to this. Um, I'm going to come on to, in a little bit, the Genesis model for a successful marriage. And in my answer, a few more questions that you might have uh, surrounding this. But I'm just going to park where I am for a little bit. But so, um, just to say as well, if while the Corinthians are looking at these verses and they're being shocked, just before they're able to be incredibly shocked, he then says, yeah, but Jesus also had a head. Jesus submitted to the Father. It is a healthy place. If you want to grow as a Christian, you need to have a spiritual head in your life. It's, a, it's the place um, where you will grow. Okay, so. There we go. I've had fun putting that together. What was the cultural significance of head coverings in first century Corinth? We've got to understand this. Now, I've got to say, uh, there's huge debate about this, as everything about this passage. Some people think this is over-egged. So I've just tried to boil it down to what some of the commentators would say. Okay, so by head covering, actually, it's not talking about hat. It's probably talking about a shawl or a scarf. And um, uh, some of the commentators say that, really, in, in Corinthian days, the only women that would have walked about publicly without some kind of head covering, and certainly if their hair was loose as well as no covering, um, they they were prostitutes. So that's what it indicated. No head covering, hair down, walked around publicly, you're a prostitute. That's what it shouts out. It also seems that not having a head covering symbolized an internal attitude. It sort of communicated So it said, I am rebellious, I am independent, I have loose morals, and I don't submit to anyone apart from me. That's what it would say. And I guess, therefore, if a woman was married and she appeared in church like that, basically it would be very disrespectful, dishonoring to her husband. It's really saying, I think you're a twit, and I think you're irrelevant. And that's what was happening. Some of the women were doing that. You're you're just... Idiot. Um, now, it seems if a man wore a head covering, it had a sort of similar message attached. It was saying, I am rebellious and I am independent and I don't submit to anyone apart from me. That's what, so that's what it meant. So, so these head coverings were, were hugely significant. And that's why we don't need them today, because they don't mean... That here today in 21st century Britain, do they? They don't mean that at all. So, so it's the understanding of the significance of them which indicates whether they're relevant or not. And I think we would be forced to admit, no, they're not. So uh, I guess in the context then of Corinth, um, if, if a man walks into a church uh, gathering and has a hat on, what he's really saying is, God, I don't submit to you and your authority. And then would say, yes, I worship you. It's marvelous. Woohoo, wonderful. But I don't submit to your authority. Do you see, there's a, a, the two do not go together here. Do you see what I mean? Right. The other thing I think I'd just throw in here as well, 
You okay? You with me? <laughs> I've got no option. I've got to keep going. The other thing that's uh, going on here is, what is the largest temple currently at this time in Corinth? Aphrodite. Yeah, there was a, it's a massive temple. There are temples everywhere in Corinth to all sorts of different gods. The largest one is to Aphrodite, and it's thought there are 2,000 uh, priestesses. And really, they're prostitutes. That's what's going on. Um, now, the thing about priestesses in this time is that many of them would also deliver oracles. Priestesses were known for delivering oracles. I don't think all of them did that, but certainly some of them did. And if you didn't know any better, you would say, that sounds like prophecy. So in the Corinthian mind, there is an association with prostitution and prophecy. Comes out the same mouth. Same thing. So I wonder also if Paul is saying... I'd like you to wear a head covering because it shows that you are not a prostitute. And he's specific about when you pray and you prophesy. You are different from that lot. You come under authority and you speak out. Plus the fact, if, if the women of the church had been doing that, they would be getting a lot of unwelcome attention. And actually, I think Paul is moving to protect them here as well. So I would suggest, that's from our knowledge, isn't it, of, of Corinth. Okay, all right, is that helpful? Does that help to get things a bit straighter? Good, okay. I, 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 because this, this passage just doesn't mean today what it meant back then, so that's why we have to interpret and understand it. Okay, now something else we need to understand. We'll move on to our third thing. What is the, the model for a successful marriage partnership that Paul has in mind? Okay, well, let's go back to Genesis. Let's have a look at Genesis. And what do we see in Genesis? Well, when we see God create Adam and Eve, he creates Adam, man, the first man. And then he gives Adam a mission, doesn't he? What's his mission? Yeah, to, to go into the garden, Garden of Eden, and to protect it, to watch over it, to care for it, to nurture it. So Adam, the man, is given the mission. Um. But what happens is we see Adam begin to struggle. He can't do it alone. And uh, he needs help and he needs companionship. And God sees this and says, yeah, it's right that man should not be alone. So the Bible then says that God takes one of his uh, ribs and he creates woman. And uh, what we see from this Hebrew word, it's a word called ezer, E-Z-E-R. And it refers to someone who is strong. And it can mean someone who rescues or saves from a difficult situation. I understand this word is sometimes applied to God. So what we see is man in the garden, given the mission, struggling. And then he says, okay, I'm going to send woman. And woman is strong. So we see a strong woman come along. I've also heard, this isn't terribly flattering, but I've heard um, this word can also be buttress. Your wife is like a buttress. Yes, no, it's probably not the way to go, is it? But, um, <clears throat> but the, the meaning of the word is it it's brings strength to something that is failing. So, so the model now we, are, we see in, in, in Eden is man, given the mission, struggling with a strong woman then who comes along by his side 
And together, this powerful couple are then able to get the mission done. And actually, even the implication might be that without Eve, he potentially could have failed. She is the difference between success and failure in the marriage relationship, in this relationship, in getting the job done. The two are clearly of equal importance. Paul emphasizes that in verse 11. Equal significance, equal importance. But, but the, the, the model that he has in mind is, hey, I'm looking for two people to work well together, to get the mission done. Two strong people moving forward, not independent, but working. Different roles, equal significance, but with your eyes on the mission of God. Do you see what I mean? That's the kind of model I think that Paul has uh, in his mind. So when Paul arrives at Corinth, what does he find? He doesn't find that, does he? That's for sure. No, he finds a mess. Actually, I think we see an emphasis on independence. Remember, these are freed men. They would highly value their independence. And you see this amongst the men and the women. So you get in verse 11, Paul says this, In the Lord, woman is not independent from man, nor man of woman. As woman, came, uh, sorry, as woman was made from man, man is born of woman. He's saying, look guys, I'm seeing an independence I'm seeing an independence, and what I have in mind is this model of two people powerfully working well together. And I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that. So I need you to come together. I need you to um, submit to one another. And, you know, if, you, if you continue to be independent, you won't get the mission done. Do you see what I mean? Get your eyes on the mission. Live for him. Right, how do we do this? We submit. So there needs to be unity and appropriate submission. And really, the whole issue surrounding head coverings speaks into that situation. Because, because what the, the head covering is saying is, I don't submit. I do my own thing. And he's saying, no, no, this is wrong. I've got to speak into this. Come on, let's get you guys working well together. Now, look, uh, the other thing I guess I just need to say in this is some of us will have a very broken understanding of headship. And for, I think, for some women in particular, headship means violent men who hurt them. That is not what this, this passage is talking about at all. What Paul is doing is trying to deal with two independent people to bring them together so that they can function well as a good unit. He is not talking, he's not saying to the women, well, it doesn't matter if he's violent, submit to him. He is not saying that. Okay? Can we be clear? It has been used in that way in the past. It's wrong, in my opinion. That is not the context into which Paul is speaking. So I don't think it can be used in that way. In fact, should not definitely be used in that way. Okay? You with me? Okay, I just want to ask us some questions, really. Can we just, just, let's pray for a bit. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come freshly, please, on us. Father, I just felt that there would be some liberty and freedom as we begin to observe your word this morning. I want to pray, Father, about this whole issue of headship 
I thank you that it's good that you give us heads, spiritual heads in our life and that they are there to encourage us and strengthen us and give us security. Father, we recognize as we submit to them, Lord, to the godly ones, we submit to you. Father, I want to ask you to help us, please, where we have a very broken understanding of headship. Please, would you heal? Please, would you restore that? Father, we want to be able to accept something that's good and not reject it out of fear. So guys, I just want to ask you as you're praying, do you live with Jesus as your spiritual head or do you live independently of him? Do you submit your life to him? Or is your life about your personal gain? It's about me, my bigger house, the holidays I can have. Or do you submit what you do to him? Do you say, Lord, I'll live where you want me to live? The Corinthians didn't like it. There'll be an issue for us too, some of us. Do you live with Jesus as your spiritual head or not? I want to ask you as well, men. Do you pick up your responsibilities of headship in your household? Or do you just say, I can't be bothered? It does take effort to be the head of a household. Are you putting that effort in? What are you giving your time to? How much time is spent on your phone or the telly or the Xbox or whatever? No, you've got to be, pick up responsibilities. Women, can I ask you, how do you do with the idea of your husband being your spiritual head? Some of you will really struggle with this. The reason Paul has said this is because it it is a good thing. Easy to reject this. Easy. Say, well, my model so far has been very bad. And there have been authority figures in my life, male authority figures in my life that have let me down again and again. Could be when you were at school as a teacher, could have been relatives, could be husband, could be brothers, could even be pastors of churches. Paul is not saying this stuff to hurt you. He's saying this stuff to help you. Headship is a good thing, not a bad thing. Father, I want to pray particularly about this area. I want to ask you, Father, where there is damage as a result of poor headship. I want to ask you to bring healing and restoration. I want to ask you, particularly for for wives, I want to ask you that they would flourish. I want to ask you, please, for good spiritual heads to come into their lives. Father, where they are loved and nurtured and honored 
and promoted and respected. Father, please will you deal with damage that's come. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Just receive, receive from God. Holy Spirit, come right now. God is not trying to trick you to receive something that's bad. He wants to love you. He doesn't want you to be exposed on your own. Father, I want to ask you where there's now damaged trust, you would restore that in everyone that's damaged. Father, I pray for wisdom where there are difficult situations. Father, I ask you, Lord, uh, protect and bless and give wisdom. If you're in a situation where you are being taken advantage of, particularly if it's physical, I encourage you to think about whether you need to get out of that situation. That is not the headship that God has in mind for you. Holy Spirit, come again. Come again. Father, I just want to, just want to encourage you now to, just to talk to the Lord and to tell him what your attitude is about headship. And if you struggle with it, why don't you tell him that? And ask him to speak to you in a way that will help you. Why don't we just have a minute just where we do some business before God. Maybe that that word that was brought this morning, that Penny brought this morning, there's a little light. and You're going to have to crawl through a difficult place to get to the light. Maybe this is your difficult place. Might, might not be, might be something else, but maybe it's this. Father, I pray, Lord, anyone who is in that difficult place right now, help them to get to the light, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.